This is Steve Shepard with the Natural Curiosity Project, the place for stories that need to be told. About a year or so ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jacob Job in the show. When we talked, Jacob had just recently completed a project called the Voices of a Flyway Project, during which he traveled from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to the Boundary Waters region of northern Minnesota, recording birds along the way and talking to people from all walks of life about their relationship with the natural world. He spoke to everybody from oil field workers in the Gulf to professional conservationists, and what he discovered on his journey was really fascinating. What he learned was that all of them, no matter what their job was, no matter what they did in life, they all had a reverence for and a desire to be in balance with the non-human side of the natural world. Well, I recently caught up with Jacob again because I wanted to hear about his latest adventure, a large-scale effort called the Bird Genoscape Project. The first time you were on the podcast, we talked about your Voices of a Flyway Project, which is incredible. And now you've kind of switched gears a little bit. Um, you're still at Colorado State, but you've gone on to something called the Bird Genoscape Project. And so before we get into what that project is about, can you kind of educate us a little bit on what a genome is? Because that would, that's kind of fundamental to the mission of the organization. Yeah, it's a great baseline to start from. What are we talking about when we say genoscape or genome? And essentially, we are talking about all of the genes within our DNA that make us us. So the A's, T's, C's, and G's of the DNA, if we go back to uh, high school level, middle school level biology, we talk about what DNA is made up of, um, that combination of those letters is specific to each person. It's specific to each species, species groups. And so when we're talking about a genome, we're talking about the combination of those letters that form the genes that make each species what it is. That then brings us to the Genoscape project. So let's talk a little bit about what that is. You've made this transition to this new position, doing some things that are pretty different uh, than before. Can you kind of walk us through it? The idea is to understand what the genetic makeup is of migratory bird species. And the reason we do that is because there's been this sort of traditional way of thinking about birds as, if you think about an American robin, all American robins are the same. Well, we are starting to learn that they're not the same. There are populations of American robins, for instance, that live across the continent, the North American continent, that differ from each other in their genetic makeup. And they also differ from each other in how well their populations are doing. Some populations are doing just fine. Some of them are de uh, declining quite drastically. And so we are trying to get at what is causing those declines. And the first way we can do that is to first understand the genetic differences between those, those populations, where they live based on those genetics and sort of all the factors um, that lead to those declines. And so essentially that's what the Bird Gene Escape is, Project is doing. So tell me a little bit about the genesis of the project in terms of what we're attempting to achieve and what was the genesis of, of the Genoscape project itself? That's a good question. There, so historically, we have tried to understand bird populations from a number of different angles, going all the way back to, I think it was James Audubon tying ribbons around the, the feet of birds and watching them come back during migration. And so that expanded to the idea of bird banding, which is the Fish and Wildlife Service regulates the production of these tiny, tiny, tiny aluminum bands with unique number combinations on them that people around the world capture birds, put these bands on the birds. 
with the whole idea of trying to recapture those birds at some point to understand you know, where they're coming from, where they're going, how long they live, just all sorts of information about the species and their populations. Well, the success rate of capturing, recapturing the same bird that has a band on its leg is um, vanishingly small. For small songbirds, it's less than 0.1%. For larger birds, it can, it can get up to 15 to 20%. But um, the point is, we don't have a lot of success with it. And so there have been the advent of new tools like geolocators and radio telemetry that allow us to track birds with more success, but it still relies on the fact that sometimes we have to recapture birds and for sure we rely on living birds, which has its own issues. And that's where the Bird Genoscape project kind of steps in to fill a niche. The way we approach our work is all we have to do is get DNA from birds, living or dead. Most of the time we're working with bird banding stations around the Western hemisphere who capture the birds and then they pluck two tail feathers from a bird. It's like clipping your fingernails. That's, that's kind of like, or plucking a hair from your head. It's kind of what it feels like. But at the end of that hair, at the end of that feather, there is a chunk of DNA, a small chunk, but enough that we can then analyze it and understand the genome, the genetic makeup of that individual bird. So if we go back to our American robin um, example, if we pluck enough feathers from American robins across North America, we can then look at the DNA of all those robins, the slight differences in DNA. And what we'll notice is that DNA tends to cluster. Similarities tend to cluster in populations. So American robins living in the Northeast have a specific type of DNA, specific patterns of A, T's and C's and G's that is slightly different than those that live in the Pacific Northwest, those that live in the desert Southwest. And so that's how we can start to tease apart different populations of birds in the Western hemisphere. So it's kind of a law of large numbers thing, right? You get enough samples, you get a big enough sample size and you start to see these patterns emerging that, that you can then analyze and correlate with other things going on within that particular geography. That's exactly it. And the, and the cool thing is we don't have to have birds that are living. So birds that die for a various number of reasons, we can still collect those feathers, collect blood, collect tissue, and we can do the same analysis. So we don't have to recapture birds at any given time. We can just pluck those feathers and get that DNA and we can, we can do this work. And so you can start to think about all the applications that become available to you to do this work that aren't limited to birds that are living. So let's take that then to the next level. So let's assume that the organization has now sort of gotten critical mass in terms of its samples and so on. What does this tell us? What does it allow us to do or understand or what kind of actions might it drive that will benefit, you know, our relationship with the natural world and so on? So let's take a step back. Let's just go and acknowledge the fact that we have lost in the North American continent about 3 billion birds over the last 50 years since the 1970s. That's a big problem. That's a lot of birds that have disappeared. And so if we were to get at a better understanding of what's leading to those losses, we need work like the Bird Gene Escape Project in combination with others to tease apart what's going on. So the critical mass that we have achieved is we have a collection of over 400,000 feathers from over 200,000 individual birds that we've been collecting over the past few decades. So we have a lot of information about migratory species, hundreds of species of birds that 
spend part of their time living in North America um, in the summer, then they migrate to Central and South America where they spend the winter. And so um, one of the things we have to do is if we're gonna understand what's causing these birds to decline, we have to understand where those decline happen on the breeding grounds. Are they happening during migration? Are they happening where they live in the winter? This is called the full annual cycle. And so once we understand where these birds live throughout the year, and we can do that now because we can track their genetics, we know where their populations are set up on the breeding grounds, that's the genescape. If we follow our American robin analogy, again, we capture them in the winter, somewhere in Mexico, we collect their feathers, we see their DNA and we look at it and we say, oh, we know where this bird came from. It's got the same combination of A's, T's and C's and G's from those birds that live in, uh, the, let's say the Pacific Northwest. We know where they live, know where they, they spend the, their life year round and we can start to investigate, okay, what is happening to these birds that is causing their declines? Is it happening on the breeding grounds? Is it happening in the wintering grounds? What specifically is happening? So that's kind of what we're doing. And then that allows you to correlate to things like human-caused challenges or parasites or whatever it may be that's resulting in this particular decline, or in some cases, perhaps, you know, a growth spurt of a population in an area. Absolutely. In conservation, we have a limited amount of time and money to do our work. It's not unlimited. So what we have to do is find ways to apply that, that effort and that money more effectively to the populations or species. And not only just the population the species, where it's most needed. Is it on the wintering grounds? Is it during migration? Is it on the breeding grounds? So we can get really specific with the application of that time and money to have the most positive impact. Is this primarily a North American effort at the moment? Yeah, so the Bird Genoscape Project is... Um, working on um, the most imperiled, the most endangered, the most at-risk migratory species in the Western Hemisphere. And so we have partners across North America and Central America and South America. So, you know, it's pretty clear to me that there are a lot of moving parts in this project. There's field work and lab work and research and documentation and so on. Can you tell me what a day in the life is like for somebody that's working on a project like this? Yeah, so what does a day in the life of the bird genoscape look like? I would say at first, if you can sort of imagine yourself, if you've never been to a bird banding station, they are set up across um, the world, but they essentially are a bunch of nets, nearly invisible, that are set up in places that migratory birds are known to move through. And so these birds, they fly into these nets, they lay there and wait, and so we come, we pull them out of the nets, completely safe, and then they get processed. And by process, I mean, they get that, that metal band fit around their leg, but also for the purposes of bird gene escape, somebody just plucks a feather out of their tail feather. And it's just like I said, plucking a hair out of your head. That's about what it feels like. It grows back. It does no damage to the bird. But that feather then gets mailed to us at, at a Colorado State University. We take that feather, we catalog it into our huge collection. And then when it's time to create a gene escape, that feather gets pulled out of our freezers. We extract the DNA, we concentrate the DNA, we map out the DNA, the sequences of A's, T's, C's, and G's. And then we can summarize 
all the information from the DNA from all of those American robin feathers, and we can then tease apart the different populations across North America. And so there's a component of being out in the field to collect those feathers, there's components of data management, there are components of being in the laboratory with the white the white coat on on the bench and extracting the DNA. And then there's components of being on the computer to analyze all those A's, T's, and C's, and G's to make the gene escape. So at the, at the risk of you suddenly receiving pillowcases full of bed feathers <laughs> at, your, at your home, is there, is there a way that people can get involved to help the project? Is there a crowdsourcing element or a, or a, a support mechanism that people can tie into? Yeah, so our work would not be possible without the help of hundreds or maybe thousands of collaborators, contributors across, like I said, the Western Hemisphere. Um, Some of the limitations about being able to send us samples, send us feathers, um, because it is illegal to just collect feathers, um, to collect birds and pluck feathers. You have to have um, state and federal permits to do this. But if you are somebody who runs a banding station, who is working on a research project um, somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, and you have those permits, absolutely, they can, they can contact us. They can say, hey, we've got these, these samples from these species. Would, would you like to have those? And, and most of the time we say, yes, can you, can you send those to us so we can begin work on specific species that may need, may need help? Excellent. Where do people go to find out more about the project? To find out more about what we are doing, what we're hoping to accomplish, people can go to birdgenoscape.org. That is our website. It's freshly updated and ready for people to dive into, to learn more about our work, our mission, our goals, and how they can contribute. And all that information is there. Um, Once they're there, if they find that they want to know more or they want to be a contributor to the project, they can send us an email and we will give them all the information they need to do that, to take part in the project. Dr. Jacob Job with the Bird Genoscape Project at Colorado State University. To learn more about the project, please visit the Bird Genoscape Project's website at www.birdgenoscape.org. That's spelled B-I-R-D-G-E-N-O-S-C-A-P-E dot org. And to learn more about Jacob and his Voices of a Flyway project, as well as the other things he works on, which, by the way, if you're not familiar with, you need to be, you can visit his website at jacobrjob, that's J-O-B, dot com. There you'll find all kinds of resources, including a link to the Voices of a Flyway project. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.